Thank you for joining us today and a big thank you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. Karen and I have been trialing their designs for a few months and we can happily recommend them. All designs are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at amazingjane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. Today we're talking about recovery from marathon running. Most marathon runners think about eating before their race. Some might even think about eating during the marathon, but often runners neglect to consider eating strategy after a marathon. So today we're going to talk about what a recovery strategy is and why it's important, what nutrition factors to consider, and when and how much to eat for optimal recovery from a marathon. So join us today and help run, refuel and recover. Hello and welcome to She Runs, Eats, Performs, the podcast for female runners of all abilities. Please join Karen Campbell and Aileen Smith, nutritionists, friends and runners, who are here to help you translate sports nutritional science into easy to apply tips and plans, helping you enjoy peak running performance. And especially adding in the female factors every woman needs to know to be a healthy runner. The suggestions we make during this episode are for a guidance and advice only, and are not a substitute for medical advice or treatment. If you have any concerns regarding your health, please contact your healthcare professional for advice as soon as possible. If you'd like help from Karen and Ailey to design a personalized sports nutrition plan for your running, please contact them at Runners Health Hub. Welcome back. I'm Aileen and I'm here once again with Karen. And as always, before we discuss today's topic, we're going to share something personal with you about our nutritional running or just anything really that's been going on in our lives since we last spoke. Um, in fact, earlier in the summer, we mentioned on one of the episodes that we were both hoping, hoping to go away on holiday, COVID restrictions permitting. Uh, well, we're pleased to tell you that we both managed to get away for holidays with our families and friends. And um, so we thought we'd just share what we've been up to. So Karen, would you like to tell us all about what you did over the summer? Yes, absolutely, Aileen. I actually remember that, discussing it with you. And um, I was really uncertain whether I would be in France or Spain or possibly still here in Blighty. But we did get away and we ended up in Spain in a, in a lovely place called Denia on the Costa Blanca. And, and I have to say, it was absolutely stunning. I loved everything about it. You know, the constant sunshine, it was guaranteed always, the blue of the sea, but also the that, that really delicious Mediterranean style food and um, and. Uh, Ellie and I were in the kitchen constantly. We went to the markets, bought the fresh food, and we just loved being in the kitchen together cooking. Um, And really, that's a lot of what we did. We didn't do too much. We kind of explored the surrounding area and did lots of exercise. You know, I did lots of running, cycling and swimming as well because there was a pool close by and there was the sea, clearly. And um, and I actually even um, joined uh, a, a local gym 
only because it was really hot. So it was difficult to go out and exercise for long periods outside. So um, at least the, the gym was air conditioned. And in fact, to do my running, I actually had to get up um, by six o'clock um, to be out by at least six. 15, 6.30, uh, because otherwise it was just too hot to run. And, and even at that time, the temperatures were at about 24 degrees. So it was, wow. yeah. It yeah, was. it sounded, uh, well, I saw some of your photographs actually on Facebook and I did see some of your videos too, Karen, of you exercising in a gym. And I was like, where is she? What's she doing? So now I know. Yes, exactly. <laughs> And I went exploring to try and find somewhere indoors that we could that we could do some exercise. So, and I have to say, the gym it was it was simple, but it, it served the purposes that uh, that we wanted. So, anyway, Aileen, what about your really exciting trip, the coast to coast that you you did? And again, on Facebook, you posted some fantastic photographs. I thought the scenery was just gorgeous. Um, but maybe can you tell us a bit more about the highs and? possibly some lows that you experienced during the trip well yeah it was fabulous uh you know it's been something that I've been planning for a long time with friends and uh yeah it was a fabulous experience all around loved it the photographs were just well the scenery was just there you know you didn't have to be a good photographer you just had to point and click and <laughs> you got amazing photographs um so we we walked um from um, St. Bees um, on the West Coast uh, over to Robin Hood's Bay on the East Coast of England. So it was amazing scenery. Uh, some of the walk, walking was quite challenging, uh, uh, very mountainous at the first, you know, five or six days. Um, so, you know, you were you were really challenging yourself some days. Luckily, we had great weather, um, really lovely, sunny, particularly on that first part. We had a few rainy days in the middle, um, but then the weather got better for the second uh, part of the walk. Um, so I think from the highs, I mean, it was all really, you know, we, were all, we really enjoyed it. But the highs, I think, for me were just being outdoors, you know, continuously every day for 15 days was fantastic. Uh, we walked 230 miles, which is uh, longer than the route. The route, I think, is about 190 miles, 192. But by the time you add on the extra bits of walking to your accommodation every night, uh, etc., and we were tracking everything. So we actually walked 230 miles in, in the 15 days. Um, and I think one of the other highs for me was you're on a bit of a journey and you meet lots of other people that are doing the same thing and um, you know people that you wouldn't come across in your normal day-to-day -day life and it's just really great to meet different people hear why they're doing it and everybody's doing it in a slightly different way so you know you might find some people are doing it over a longer period they're adding in rest days they may be doing shorter distances every day some people are doing it super fast um some people are camping some people are staying in b&bs um so you you sort of like uh, i don't know you're in a little bit of a, a relay really with people and you, you meet them and you might never see them again or you meet them a few days later or you hear about them from other people so it was all pretty great um and as I said, we did have a few rainy days, so that was the low point. The one one day which was particularly a low point because it was just rain, 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 torrential rain all day. We were really, really wet, and we were walking over very boggy moorland that day, and it was – you couldn't avoid – you know, you were up to your knees in water sometimes. Um, that's not very pleasant. Um, but miraculously, we seemed to rejuvenate every night, 
And um, I don't think there was a single day I got up and thought, I can't do this or I don't want to do it. So, yeah, it was physically hard, but mentally very restful. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing I have noticed since coming back, uh, getting my running legs back have been, it's been quite challenging. I've really suffered with DOMS. In fact, I was going, I went back and listened to our episode to try and refresh my memory about what I could do. But to be honest, I think it was just you use slightly different muscles. <laughs> Running is different from hill walking. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, fortunately, three weeks on, I think, you know, I'm recovering much better now. I'm glad to report. So, good, good. Actually, Aileen, just a question. On your journey, did you see any people running the route or was everybody walking it? Uh, we did see a, a few runners. I mean, in, when you're in the Lake District particularly, you do see a lot of fell runners, So, but their people are just out doing a day's running, um, you know, and they're, you know, mm. they're amazing people. You know, they're really strong and fit and they probably live in that area and it's just where they run and they're really good at it. Mm. Um, but we did, uh, there was one man I remember who was, um, he was actually running the route and he was being supported. Um, so he was running from place to place. And then, you know, he had either a, a partner or somebody who was meeting him uh, in between times to bring his food and, you know, arrange his accommodation. So, yeah, there are people do it. And there was some guy, and I can't remember his name now, I really should, but just a few weeks ago, uh, there was somebody who did it in 39 hours. You know, 39 hours, it's sort of 190 miles. Of, it's, it's Wow. You know, superhuman mm, absolutely oh it's one to consider for the future maybe if I can get my husband on board to be my oh my god that is a, that's a big one Karen that is a really big one I know but it's something it's like the um uh, Santiago de Compostela I'd love to run it um you know the one in in no I think that might be a bit more doable I mean I don't know if you've got the temperatures but I've, I've walked part of the Camino and yes. it's much more doable uh, this is quite challenging I would say okay. Okay. I mean, there are parts of it you could run you know definitely well you could run all of it I'm not don't want to put you off I'm just saying <laughs> It's be quite challenging. Big job. I know you've got mountain legs, so maybe maybe it's easier for you. I'll ponder it, but let's move on. Okay, so let's move on and, and introduce our topic for today, uh, which is all about recovery from marathon running, which is uh, you know one of your specialist topics, Karen. So it'll be really good to hear you um, about this today. So most marathon runners think about their eating before the race and they might think about eating during the marathon. Um, but often runners neglect to consider their eating strategy after a marathon. Uh, and often runners um, don't feel like eating after a marathon. They often feel um, too nauseous or too weak. Um, so today we're going to consider a few points. In, in particular, we're going to look at why the recovery strategy is so important after a marathon event, uh, what nutrition factors to consider for recovery following a marathon, and when and how much to eat for optimal recovery from a marathon. And, and not everything that we're going to talk about today is really applicable during your marathon training. And I know there's a lot of people at the moment who Uh, are getting ready for their autumn marathons Um, you know we've got some clients who are focusing on that as well so it will be good conversation it's timely I think to have it now so Karen uh, let's um, let's start so could you maybe outline why or what the purpose is of having a recovery strategy uh, following a marathon distance or a, a running event 
Yeah, absolutely, Aileen. I think in a nutshell, the reason it, a recovery strategy is so important is that enhanced it can achieve enhanced performance during the subsequent running, training and, and other events. So really, that's the all, overall reason for, for doing it. Brilliant. So that's really concisely put. So um, could you elaborate a little bit more on that, Karen? Yeah. So 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 really to give it a bit more detail, if if your recovery is is adequate. Now, when I speak about recovery, this includes your nutrition and lifestyle factors that that could require attention, um, which I'm sure we'll discuss later. Um, but anyway, if the recovery is appropriate, it is thought to support the glycogen repletion and muscle and body protein remodeling both of which are vital to enhance that performance going forward. And also, uh, over time, that adequate recovery is also thought to help support uh, metabolic and muscular adaptation stimulated by the exercise. So, for example... Um, it can lead to increased mitochondria production. So that's the energy powerhouses and also um, increased production of contractile proteins. So, again, um, that means that the proteins that support the muscle contraction and relaxation process. And then these adaptations in turn then um, result in increased aerobic and anaerobic power production. And that then will result in enhanced performance. So that is the overall reasons for for ensuring that you consider your recovery after a marathon. Okay, so to just simplify that, Karen, what you're suggesting is that the appropriate recovery encourages both metabolic and structural adaptations, and that's going to lead to greater power output and therefore improves athletic performance. Yeah, exactly, Aileen. That's kind of really well put and 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 that's actually what the research is is suggesting it's it's not just me saying that um but i have to say it makes sense and um and i agree with it and that is one part of it but the other part is linked to sort of that glycogen repletion and that muscle remodeling that i i i mentioned before but in addition to this um fatigue really needs to be considered as well. And this, again, links back to the the glycogen levels, so that stored energy levels. Now, there's a scientist um, called Bergstrom, and he and his colleagues way back in 1967 were the first to discover that fatigue from prolonged exercise was linked to the glycogen depletion. But it wasn't until some years later, and subsequent studies were carried out, that it was discovered it was localised subcellular intramuscular glycogen depletion that led to the muscle fatigue. Now, the reason I mentioned these studies really is because their research, so Bergstrom, etc., um, his research showed that muscle fatigue could be influenced by diet. And from that, there there has then been so much research into discovering that optimal dietary strategy to support optimal muscular glycogen levels to maximise that that exercise performance. And, and, you know, you and I are are frequently mentioning glycogen and, and its importance for running performance because that is still where the research is today. So... 
you know, that's yeah. yeah, and I think, you know, at the end of the day, carbohydrate is the essential nutrient for obtaining optimal glycogen glycogen stores and we know also that carbohydrate is one of the limiting factors for running performance so Mm -hmm. that's sort of always underpinning everything that we're thinking about and talking about Um, but before we move on Karen I just wanted to mention also the potential for muscle injury caused by marathon running um, as well as um, similar things like downhill running and strength training um, as because we've 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 not mentioned that so far. Um, And I I was also thinking that muscle injury would clearly affect running performance in subsequent training and races if your recovery isn't optimal. Um, So I think it's worth mentioning here that damaged muscle is also thought to interfere and hinder the replenishment of glycogen stores during recovery. Um, So potentially that's another factor um, in poor performance, which is caused by poor recovery. Yeah, absolutely, Aileen. And and we probably all know how easy it is for an injury to occur, especially, like you say, if the training is intense or it's really long or it's skill-based, you know, especially that eccentric exercise, so that running downhill. And actually, thinking about the eccentric exercise, it has actually been really well documented that it could lead to an increased risk of muscle damage. Now, this is really because during an eccentric, so that's the lengthening of the muscle, and during that lengthening or that eccentric muscle contraction, the force applied to the muscle actually exceeds the momentary force produced by the muscle itself. Now, this then results in the forced lengthening of that muscle tendon system um, whilst contracting. So there's like opposing elements going on during that um, contraction. So really, I would say the best way to try and prevent the muscle injury um, from, say, the downhill running is to really start slowly and build up so that the muscles have time to adapt to try and avoid um, this sort of muscle injury occurring. Yeah, I just got a, a little question there, Karen. So when you say start slowly, do you mean start slowly at the beginning of running downhill or do you mean that generally if you're going to start doing run, downhill running, not to do it fast until you're more experienced? Yeah, that, that's more what I'm thinking of. Um, again, if you you should always, before you do any um, skill-based tra- run training, you should always be warming up anyway. So hopefully by the time you start doing the downhills, your yeah. muscles will be warm. So there's no need to start slowly and then build up but definitely when you start to do that um, type of training overall then slowly slowly does it and build up right that's great thanks for that clarification there Karen Um, so let's move on so we've established that the overall aim of optimal recovery from a marathon event and from the training before the event is to enhance performance and and we probably already knew that Um, but to achieve this goal um, an adequate and appropriate recovery is required so that we ensure optimal glycogen repletion and muscle recovery, um, you know, thinking about the remodeling and repair of, of muscles. And as we mentioned, um, over time, appropriate recovery could support metabolic and physiological adaptations, and that's going to help to enhance performance and prevent 
fatigue. Um, so now let's move on to think about the nutrition that we require to support optimal recovery. So we know that overall an optimal diet is important post-exercise, um, but let's look now at, at some specifics. So Karen, we, we mentioned earlier that carbohydrate is a limiting factor in running performance. So how, how could that fit into a recovery plan? Yes, absolutely, Ellen. I think that sort of carbohydrate as well as sort of fluid intake, so thinking about hydration, they are the most researched areas of nutrition when discussing exercise recovery. In fact, when really discussing all aspects of exercise training and performance. Great. So, yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. And, um, you know, I'm glad you mentioned hydration because it is, I always think hydration is a little bit neglected. We take it for granted, but it is seen as a limiting factor in exercise performance. Um, we're not focusing on hydration today. Uh, we've, we've done, uh, that in a lot of detail in some other episodes. So if anybody's interested in refreshing their memory on hydration, um, episode four uh, is all about hydration and running performance. And episode 46 is asking the question, does dehydration impair performance? So that's a couple of areas people could go back to just as uh, just to refresh their, their memories. So going back to um, my original question, Karen, so how does carbohydrate fit into a nutrition plan to support optimal recovery? <laughs> Yeah, well, really, the key purpose of carbohydrate intake, as we know, um, in a in a recovery plan, is to replenish both liver and muscle glycogen stores as quickly and as efficiently, really, as possible to try and prevent, um, eliminate, hopefully, or at least limit the risk factors that we've mentioned already. Now. It is well known and we have discussed frequently the fact that moderate to high intensity endurance exercise is fueled primarily by carbohydrate in the form of glucose. But some people might not be aware that when there is an increased demand for glucose by the working muscles, blood glucose levels are maintained largely from the breakdown of glycogen stores in the liver. And that's why an optimal recovery plan must ensure that sufficient carbohydrate is consumed to replenish the liver stores as well as the muscle stores um, of glycogen. I think we often just think about replenishing the, the muscle stores of glycogen, but the liver stores are, are equally important. Um, but the muscle glycogen stores are the ones used as that immediate energy source to fuel the mitochondria, so the energy powerhouses, but also to, to um, fuel the, the proteins that are required for that muscle contraction during the intense and the prolonged exercise. Okay, so just to recap here, just so that we've got this and captured it correctly, Karen. So what you're saying is that during intense and prolonged exercise, liver glycogen is used to maintain blood glucose levels, whereas muscle glycogen is broken down to be used as energy for the mitochondria and the muscle contraction process. Yeah, exactly. That's it in a nutshell. Okay. So is there anything else you would like to say about carbohydrate for recovery before we move on, Karen? 
Uh, actually, yes, Eileen, there's just one thing um, I would like to add. There was one study I was analysing and it was suggesting that an increased intake of carbohydrate during an event, uh, an endurance event could support recovery. Now, they observed that by increasing carbohydrate intake during exercise helped limit the potential for exercise induced muscle damage and fatigue after the event. So um, these findings uh, then led them to believe that a higher degree of high intensity run capacity could be maintained for up to 24 hours post-exercise if that higher level of carbohydrates was consumed during the exercise. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, that is interesting because I think we probably just focus on, you know, consuming carbohydrate during exercise mm-hmm. to fuel energy really don't we we don't think about what it's doing for us afterwards so that's mm-hmm. that's interesting and and what potentially are they saying that higher level of carbohydrate should be you know t- to be consumed during that period yes now this is where I think the theory may not match what is practical for most athletes. So in this study, they were comparing marathon runners who consumed the average sort of 60 grams per hour of carbohydrates, which is what we speak about a lot. We speak about between 30 and 60 um, grams of carbohydrate per hour with other runners who were consuming um, 120 grams. So double that perhaps. Per hour. Now, that is a lot of carbohydrates to, to, to take in in an hour. They also had a group um, consuming 90 grams of carbs per hour, which is sometimes currently recommended for endurance athletes who can tolerate that amount. But, you know, up until reading this research, that seemed to be that upper level was the, the 90 grams. But the study is looking at uh, 120 grams. Um, But what they um, did find was that with this particular group of athletes, the 120 grams per hour did delay the onset of fatigue and limited that um, exercise-induced muscle um, damage more so than both the 60 grams or the 90 grams per hour. So certainly in their their piece of study, now it was a small study as most of them are. And um, um, so, so it's difficult to compare. I think as always, there needs to be more research into it. Yeah, it does sound an awful lot of carbohydrate an hour. So I'd certainly, I'd struggle to even get to the um, you know, the 30 to 60, to quite frank. So I can't imagine what that's like. And I'm sure most runners would find it difficult to tolerate that amount. Um, but, you know, as always, anything that is going to be supportive and practical, I suppose it's about practice, 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 and gradually building up in training and trying to train the digestive system to receive that amount. Um, and, and also the ratio of glucose to fructose um, could be considered to help minimize gut issues and optimise the absorption too. Yeah, absolutely, Aileen. And in fact, that is exactly what the authors were suggesting. Um, sort of regarding that uh, glucose fructose ratio, they were recommending a two to one of glucose to fructose. But I have to say, I think, like I said earlier, more research on this does need to be completed before uh, we would start to recommend these levels to, to our clients. Yeah, I, I agree. And um, I guess we can talk later about suggestions about how much carbohydrate to 
eat for recovery. Um, okay, Karen, so we've talked a little bit about carbohydrate for recovery. Um, now let's think about protein because uh, we know that that's crucial for muscle building, for remodeling, repair, and, and of course, recovery. And, and we have talked about it you know many times um so if carbohydrate intake um is inadequate to fuel an endurance race or a run um then what's going to happen is that protein primarily from muscle will be broken down to be utilized as an energy source and that's going to compromise muscle repair and that rebuilding and the recovery post-exercise so so basically what we really need to think about is that we have adequate amounts of both protein and carbohydrate to ensure optimal recovery yeah absolutely and just to add to that Aileen um, when carbohydrate intake during exercise has been suboptimal so so that's less than one gram per kilogram per hour it's thought that adding protein to a carbohydrate snack or meal or beverage whatever it is that you might be having is known to increase the the rate of the glycogen resynthesis now this is thought to be due to the the protein um, effect on insulin and certain amino acids as well, so including leucine and phenylalanine. And it's thought that, um, that they will drive the insulin and the, protein, the amino acids will help drive glucose into the muscle cells. So again, if, if it's, this, and this really is looking at it, if carbohydrate during has been sub, suboptimal. Mm, yeah, that's really interesting. I'm thinking about myself here, Karen. <laughs> that's my situation. I find it really hard to get to that carbohydrate level. Um, but we we tend to recommend that runners consume a quick release carbohydrate um, only um, as a sole uh, macronutrient immediately following an endurance run. You know, and we're thinking about that 30 minute window. Um, so yeah, that's interesting that they've looked at it in, a, in another way yeah exactly and and I think that is absolutely right you know that having just the quick release carbohydrate within the 30 minutes following um a, a, a race is is recommended you would only be adding the protein if the carbohydrate intake during the run had been suboptimal so just again it's it's all about individuality Mm, yeah, as always, it's always yes. about individuality, isn't it? It's taking the broad concepts and applying them for your personal physiology as as well as um, circumstances, isn't it? Okay, exactly. so we we know, that, we know that protein's important for, as we said, the three R's: repair, remodeling, and rebuilding. Um, but I was just wondering, um, Karen, if you could explain a little bit more about the effects of remodeling and rebuilding on the muscle and um, what does remodeling actually mean because I'm sure it's a question that many listeners might be asking. Yeah, I agree with that, Aileen, because I think remodeling is a word used often in the world of sports and nutrition, but it's not often explained or really explored. But really, to try and keep it simple, remodeling is basically the breaking down of old 
and or damaged muscle proteins and the rebuilding of new ones. And endurance exercise is known to be a trigger of this process. Now, we often speak about muscle protein breakdown and muscle protein synthesis. And this is really linked to that muscle remodeling process. So the muscles broken down um, and so, so that muscle breakdown and synthesis leads to a remodeling of different components of muscle. So, um, for example, like I was speaking about earlier, the mitochondria and the proteins involved in muscle contraction. So I spoke about that earlier and how recovery is important um, for their development. Um, And and both of these areas are really um, important for performance. So if protein intake is insufficient, this process could be compromised. And that's then what would lead to the exercise induced muscle damage um, that, again, I mentioned earlier. And of course, really poor recovery overall. Okay, so um, that's a good explanation there, Karen. I think that really helps us just understand why we're doing it. Um, Mm. Clearly, carbohydrate and protein are the two key nutrients uh, influencing recovery. Um, But, you know, as always, we know that um, the macronutrients and the phytonutrients as well as hydration also play a part. So um, we won't maybe go into all of that today because, again, it's quite a big topic, but maybe that's something we could look at, an aspect of that for a future um, Karen. Um, and you mentioned uh, right at the beginning that um, lifestyle, uh, the lifestyle factors are important to support recovery. Um, so, and again, you know, they're all probably topics on their own, but could you just give us a quick um, summary of the key lifestyle factors to consider regarding recovery? Yes, absolutely, Aileen. So, um, sleep would be a lifestyle factor that um, is is really important. And we have spoken about that uh, numerous occasions in in past episodes, including um, episode 50, Eat, Sleep and Run. So that's definitely one that would be worth re-listening to. But also things like sports massage. So, and I think that introducing a regular sports massage it's really good as a preventative measure, even if it's just once a month. But to, and, 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 you know, sports massage is not like a Thai massage. It can be quite painful, but it's really sort of getting to the root of any tension in the, in the, in the deep parts of the muscle. But also foaming, foam rolling and, and stretching um, it, it could be helpful. Now, that can be done at home or maybe when you go to the gym. If you don't have a foam roller or anything at home, then the gyms do tend to, to have them but also the likes of a magnesium bath um, I think that's a, a great way of relaxing generally following a marathon event um, but at the same time it's also going to support that muscle relaxation and help with that recovery process so so those are a few things Aileen is there anything that you would add to that? Um, well I'm pleased to say I do all of the above <laughs> I'm like giving myself a pat on the back here. I, I, one of the things I do invest in is a regular sports massage. And you're quite right. It's not necessarily a pleasant experience, but I do run so much better afterwards. Yeah. So I'm very pleased that I do it. Um, so, yeah, a couple of other things that um, people might want to consider. Um, 
one of them would be uh, compression garments. Now, lots of runners wear compression socks, and this is thought to reduce time for muscle recovery post-exercise. Um, that was um, based on a, a very small study, but, you know, I'm sure there's – I've never worn them myself. Is that something you've tried, Karen? No, it's not, really. But where I see them used a lot is in mountain running and fell running, which is more yeah. under. I suppose I see and I do think when I'm doing my mountain runs I think oh I need to invest in this but I, I haven't to date no put them on your Christmas list I think exactly yes <laughs> um, and a couple of other things to consider is um, alcohol uh, alcohol's known to impair the muscle ability to replenish glycogen after endurance exercise um, and also alcohol's known to impair protein synthesis in muscle so we did an episode on uh, management of alcohol around your running so that might be an interesting one to look at mm-hmm. uh, and also stress uh, again it's a huge subject so we can't say too much about it here um, we've talked about it in many of our episodes and I think the main thing to really think about is uh, running in itself is a stress but you might have other lifestyle stresses going on and those uh you know, have a cumulative effect uh, and might be affecting your recovery. So if you've got recovery issues, you might think about how you manage those stressors in your life. Um, Okay. Um, So Karen, let's um, just think before we move on. um, I just wanted to ask, is there any female factors that we need to consider regarding recovery from marathon or endurance run training and events? Well, actually, Aileen, during my research, I have to say, I didn't find any specific female factors um, to consider. But just really as a reminder to everyone, um, and we've spoken about this in the in past episodes, is that females are known to be more susceptible to lower limb injury than men, um, which could it could be linked uh, to the hormonal fluctuations. You know, women tend to have more hormonal fluctuations uh, than men. But also there is an increased prevalence of um, the disordered eating and eating disorders in, in women that, again, could be linked to this increased risk of um, of sort of lower limb muscle injury. So really, in essence, um, it, it's saying optimal nutrition, especially the protein and carbohydrate is really key to help prevent injury occurring. And maybe women need to think about that um, even more than, than than maybe some men do. Although I think everybody needs to be thinking about it um, uh, um, as, a, as a key part of recovery to, to promote efficient recovery. Therefore, you can get a speedy return to training after your marathon or, or anything you know any sort of distance training that you've been doing so but th- but nothing really specific alien on on this subject i think recovery is important for all yeah yeah, yeah. i think it's, uh, it certainly is i mean i suppose another aspect women might need to think about is you know as a marathon event around their uh, menstrual cycle so that might affect yes um, how their recovery feelings are uh, mm-hmm. So, but that's probably again another another topic that we could cover. 
Yeah, absolutely. And again, would be linked to the the hormonal fluctuations. So, um, but anyway, just to summarise, what we we've said is sort of protein and carbohydrate are the principal macronutrients to be considering for the optimal recovery. However, I do think it's important to remember that the micronutrients, so the vitamins and minerals, as well as hydration, are also really important. Um, and we do discuss the importance of vitamins and minerals um, in episode seven. Um, titled Vitamins and Minerals for the Female Runner. Um, but also in our Food Focus and Food Force series, um, we discuss different foods um, and different nutrients that clearly are going to support um, performance overall. So lots of information out there um, for everybody to, to discover and explore. So Aileen, I think maybe it's time for an advert break so over to you okay thanks Karen um, so this is the moment in the episode where Karen and I take a minute to talk to you about some of the things that we do outside of the podcast um, many of you will know uh, that Karen and I just like you we're busy working women uh, we run for health fitness achievement and fun um, and over the years we've had our own personal uh performance struggles with regards to our running and even as nutritional therapists we we still have our challenges um, but we found that we we've been able to resolve uh, those struggles and challenges with a foundational everyday eating plan and uh, we find tune that with sports nutrition principles and that helps maximize our running performance and minimize injury um, we've turned those um, food plans that, that we use into an online program called easy nutrition for healthy runners it's a short and sweet video program and you can complete it in 30 minutes a day over two weeks or you can spread it out longer or some of our clients do they do it in one lot and then they go back and uh, do it again and that, that helps them put everything into place so if you've been listening today and you think you'd like to know more about how to apply both everyday nutrition alongside sports specific nutrition this program is a really great place to give you lots of information uh, alongside some easy action steps uh, if you're interested, you can find all the details on our website, which is runnershealthhub.com. Uh, look at the top menu bar and you'll find uh, our online programs there. If you've got any questions about the program, please feel free to uh, email us at hello at runnershealthhub.com and uh, we'll answer any questions you've got. And also just to say thank you to you as being one of our valued listeners. We've got a special offer for you to use uh, if you're interested in purchasing the program. So when you go to the shopping cart, you'll see that there's a, a place that you can put in a coupon code uh, to get a discount. So the code is POD, P-O-D. It'll give you a 33% discount off the full price, and that brings the price down to £199. And you'll find the details in our show notes too. Uh, so we hope to see you in the programme. And uh, remember, if you've got any questions, feel free to email us. Great. Thanks very much, Aileen. Okay, so now let's move on and delve into when, so the timing, and also how much carbohydrate and protein to eat to support the optimal recovery that we're all trying to achieve. Now, I did mention earlier about carbohydrate intake 
during training to support the recovery. But like I say, the research on this is limited. Most of the research really focuses on nutrition intake following exercise and the timing of intake appears to be almost as important as the amount and also the types of foods that are eaten. So let's have a look at carbohydrate intake first. Now, as we've spoken about um, today, um, but also many times, um, the the first sort of 30 minutes following exercise is the optimal window of opportunity to replenish the muscle and liver glycogen stores efficiently. So, and it is thought that eating immediately after a marathon could enhance the rate of glycogen repletion by up to 45%. Besides, if you were to wait two hours following exercise to eat. And I think that's really significant. And when you think that there are lots of people out there who find it difficult to eat immediately afterwards, just by delaying it, they're actually reducing that repletion of glycogen by up to 45%. So it's going to take them much longer to um, to recover appropriately. Now, there was a study by uh, Jokendrup, who, Oscar Jokendrup, who we mentioned quite a lot. So he and his colleagues determined that really the maximal rate of glycogen resynthesis during that acute, acute, so that immediate recovery period, occurred with a carbohydrate intake of between 1 to 1.2 grams per kilogram of body weight per hour. So clearly that would need to be individualized to to you as a runner, your, your weight. Now, again, that does seem an awful lot of carbohydrates to eat immediately after a marathon. And again, for most people, would probably be quite um, impossible. But I suppose what this is highlighting, really, is the importance of eating immediately after an endurance run. Whatever it may be, it might not be to the level that they're suggesting, but it's it's about ensuring you have something and, you know, as I've just said, many people do tend to skip this due to those feelings of, of nausea or maybe other digestive symptoms, tiredness, fatigue that they're experiencing. So, you know, as we always stress, and I think you mentioned earlier, Aileen, it is about practice, practice, practice during training. And, and, and really that is paramount to help train the gut to be able to receive the food. And, and you know, I've been there. I used to do marathons without any, any food. Um, I, I might have something before, but not during or afterwards. So it was a huge shift to then introduce food once I had been educated. Mm-hmm. And I had do it slowly. I had to start slowly and build up. And now it's not a problem at all. So and it's finding the right foods for you, as well as as introducing them immediately afterwards. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with you, Karen. And you know, it's it's an issue for me. And and I still, um, you know, I'm a long way off getting where I need to be, but I'm a lot better than I was. And so I just think, you know, do it incrementally and eventually you know, I'll get to the position where I yeah. need to be. Um, so another idea is that, that people maybe eat slightly smaller amounts every 10 to 15 minutes after an event. That might be an option. That that mm-hmm. helps for me, you know, just to have something but nibble, nibble, nibble. And it's sort of like I can tolerate that better. Uh, I'm very envious when I see some people that can just, you know, yeah. Through the food, but it doesn't yeah. work for me. And but, I have, 
say that uh, that, uh, that's where I would say I probably am now. It's taken a while, but most things I I can eat. It's just on the very odd occasion I think, oh no, no, I just can't do that, and I have to move on to drinks. But very rare. Okay, so so we've talked about um, how important it is to eat, eat immediately afterwards, but um, how and we've talked about how much. But what should people eat? What kind of foods would be useful? Yeah, well, really, at this point, you, um, well, like we said before, you want it to be quick-release carbohydrates for that efficient um, digestion, absorption, and also utilisation of the food. So so some ideas would include um, banana, maybe a white bread jam or honey sandwich, um, some medjool dates or raisins or apricots, also tropical fruit. So, for example, mango or papaya, even pineapple. You could have that fresh um, or dried. Clearly dried is going to um, be more concentrated sugars. However, for some people, it might be easier to have the fresh um, fruit. And also you're going to get some hydration from the fresh fruit as well. There's also the Ella's kitchen pouches. So for some people, it might be that they just can't eat it's easier to have like a puree or a, or a or a liquid so um so the ella's kitchen pouches are a good choice honey off a spoon if that's practical is um is really good so um yeah so those those um foods w- might not contain the amount of carbohydrates that we've been speaking about that your drop is suggesting but what I would say is that um, some is better than none at all at this point following a marathon. Yeah, I think that's really good advice, Karen. Um, and I think, you know, it gives you a starting point. I think that's the important thing. It gives you a starting point of trying a few different things. And then, as you say, maybe it's over a number of events that, and, and a long training period that you've got to build that up. Um so, as you say, uh, some is better than none. Mm-hmm. Uh, try to build it up. So um, that's um, the immediately afterwards. So that like 30 minute window, ideally. Um, but beyond that period, what's next, Karen? So really, after that 30 minute period, roughly about now we're following the run, it would be important to then begin introducing the protein into the diet. Unless we were like we were speaking about earlier, you haven't taken on enough carbohydrates during, then you would introduce the protein sooner. But if your intake has been adequate during the event, then you want to start looking at introducing your protein into the diet roughly um, about an hour afterwards. And this is really to begin that muscle repair, remodeling and recovery process. And, um, And of course, as we've already mentioned, protein can also assist in that um, continued glycogen repletion as well. And what I would say the important thing to remember here is that carbohydrate intake still needs to be the greatest because glycogen repletion is still ongoing. In fact, really, it's going to be ongoing for many hours afterwards. Now, a carbohydrate to protein ratio of four to one is what's recommended. And sort of eating in this way approximately every two hours for up to six hours. And then only then 
um, would you think about returning to your normal overall healthy nutrition way of, of, of living? Okay, so that that's really helpful. But a lot of people will be thinking, how do I know what the ratio, how does that ratio work with real food? So how much carbohydrate and protein is is recommended? Yeah, yeah, actually, and that's a good point. So, so you know, we've mentioned lots of times that um, approximately 20 grams of protein, so protein containing the branch chain amino acids, especially leucine, um, so that 20 grams of protein per serving is, is seen as sufficient to maximize that muscle protein synthesis um, process. Following resistance training, now all the research has been done on resistance training. There isn't really any similar rigorous studies that have been carried out on endurance sports. But there was one paper that I was reading that suggested that 16 grams of milk protein or 20 grams of whey protein did trigger muscle protein synthesis following endurance exercise. So those sort of would be the figures we'd be thinking about. But um, so really, there these are the only guidelines that we've got to follow. And what that would mean is that if protein intake, say, for example, was 20 grams, then the serving of carbohydrate would need to be 80 grams. And, and you would be looking at this ratio at each meal and snack up to that six hours afterwards. So every two hours up to six hours. Now, Remember, like I, I, I just said, these are recommended guidelines uh, from the current research, but absolute amounts, again, would need to be individualised really to the runner's preferences. You know, thinking about you, Aileen, who would struggle to take this on board, it would need to be adapted so that you can adapt to, yeah. to these intakes and then build up from there. Yeah. Okay, that's that's helpful just to uh, to sort of imagine what that feels. So I'm like thinking that would be an ideal uh, protein smoothie, you know, protein powder with lots of um, quick release carbohydrate fruits in it would be a good way to get that kind of um, combination that would work for me. Um, mm. So, so also, Karen, just thinking about um, people who are vegetarian or vegan and uh, using plant-based proteins and protein blends, um, they might have to consume higher amounts to achieve that similar muscle protein synthesis response um, as the leucine content tends to be lower in these protein sources. Yeah, actually, that's a good point to to add, Aileen. Um, thanks for that, because yes, vegans and and vegetarians with the plant based sources, yeah, to get that, especially the leucine, the amount of leucine that's that's needed to to trigger the um, muscle protein synthesis cascade, uh, would need to be higher. Yeah. So, Aileen, I was just wondering, do you have because you're really good with food and um, meal ideas and things. Do you have any great snack or meal ideas um, for us that are made up of, say, the ratio of carbohydrates to protein in that four to one ratio? Yeah, I mean, I think the main thing is keep it really simple. Um, You know, you might be eating this food back at home depending on how far away you are from finishing your event or maybe it's something that you've you've got friends or family taking with you or even putting in a 
a box in your your bag to have after uh, maybe when you're traveling home so easy things i think would be you know having a a baked potato either a, a sweet potato or a white potato um, you could have that filled with some tuna or some cottage cheese or even baked beans um, a good um, natural variety of baked beans is uh, the Biona brand. That's a good brand to, to look out for. Um, something like smoked salmon or egg or on a slice of wholemeal bread or toast. Uh, maybe making a wholemeal sandwich uh, containing something like chicken or any of those fillings, really. Um, and try uh, to add some, you know, salad or veggies or, or fruit too. So, you know, looking at a broad range of, of foods, but you know, easy, easy food. So it's not going to be something too difficult, something that you can prepare ahead. Um, So Karen, I know, you know, you're a keen uh, and regular marathon runner. Do you have any favourite post-race meal ideas? Yes, I do, Aileen, although... You know, what I have does tend to vary depending on on how I feel after a marathon. So I'm thinking here of things like a a chocolate milkshake, maybe with some fruit added to that, or a fruit smoothie and making that with um, some yogurt. Now, generally, I prefer to eat my nutrients rather than drink them. But sometimes after a marathon, that is all that my body wants, I have to say. It doesn't want anything that's going to take a long time to to digest um but this isn't always the case you know other things that i may have include um nut based flapjacks and um these are these are good because i can take them with me to have as i'm traveling home whether it be on the train or if my family are there to pick me up and if I've got sort of quite a distance to go to get home, then they're a really good um, snack, sort of combined snack that I can that I can have. Or also a, a cheese sandwich. Now, this isn't really something that I generally eat, but for some reason, my body really seems to crave it after a marathon, especially the mountain events that I do um, in the Alps. And um, and I have to say, rather than resist it, I just think, okay, it's what my body is asking for. I'm going to give in and and, and let it have what it, what it needs. So um, so those would be some ideas of of the food choices that I I make personally. Yeah, and I think it's good to um, do what you say. You know, listen to your body and maybe have a couple of different choices with you so that you can respond to that feeling on the day so that you don't go without and you you sort of feel as though you're replenishing in the way that your body's asking so great ideas there Karen Mm. Um, and we'd love to know if any of our listeners have uh, your own uh, ideas or any favorites you know please share with us your post-run and race meals or snacks Uh, we'd love to uh, hear about them so drop us an email or uh, post on social media and we'll we'll mention them and we'll mention you in a future episode we we love to have uh, everybody sharing ideas that'd be really helpful so Karen we've determined the the post-marathon eat that post-marathon eating and nutrition is vital um, for optimal and efficient recovery from an event and um, remembering to eat quick release carbohydrates immediately afterwards is the first thing that we need to do and it might take some practice and then we need to follow that up by uh, combining carbohydrate and protein intake in a combination of 
four to one. Um, so and to start eating that approximately an hour after the event and continue to eat in this way for up to around six hours. And then after that six hour period, you can return to your everyday healthy eating plan. Um, so Karen, we, we've got to end it here uh, today. Uh, but before we go, could you give us uh, your key takeaways? Yeah, sure, Aileen. So to start with, um, just as a reminder that really the key purpose of a recovery strategy is so that enhanced performance can be achieved during your subsequent running, training and events. Um, Appropriate and optimal recovery is known to support that glycogen repletion um, and muscle and body protein remodeling and repair, which, which are all really vital for that enhanced performance. Also, over time, the adequate recovery is thought to help support the metabolic and muscular adaptations stimulated by exercising, again, helping to enhance performance. Carbohydrates and proteins are the key nutrients to be considered for for that um, overall optimal recovery. However, hydration and micronutrient status do also need to be addressed. Um, like you were saying earlier, aiding carbohydrate and and um, hydration are the two limiting factors in exercise performance. And just as a reminder that during intense prolonged exercise, liver glycogen is used to maintain blood glucose levels, whereas muscle glycogen is broken down to be used as energy for the mitochondria and the muscle contraction process. Now, nutrition is not the only factor um, to help support recovery from a marathon. There are many lifestyle factors that could be considered as well, including the likes of sleep, sports massage, magnesium baths, Um, potentially the compression garments and uh, no alcohol and trying to reduce your stress as much as possible. Now, if carbohydrate intake during exercise has been suboptimal, so that's below one gram per kilogram of um, body weight per hour, adding protein to a carbohydrate snack or meal or beverage, whatever you have afterwards, is known to increase the rate of glycogen resynthesis. But also the timing of food intake post-training is also an important aspect of marathon recovery. And the key timings are Within 30 minutes following the run, so having the quick release carbs only, one to two hours after having the carbohydrate protein combination in a ratio of four to one and eating this in, in um eating in this way uh, every two hours up to six hours after the marathon and then after the six hours returning to your normal healthy eating. And then finally, remember these four recommendations. Everyone is different. Therefore, timing, amounts and types of food and nutrition do need to be adapted and personalised to the individual runner's requirements, but also their preferences. And that would be a tailing. Thank you, Karen. That's excellent, excellent insights into optimal post-marathon recovery strategies. Um, If you're about to do a marathon coming up soon or in the next few months, let us know and we'll be cheering you on from the sidelines. And remember, remember everyone, don't let nutrition be the limiting factor in your running performance. Well, this brings us to the end of another episode of She Runs, Eats, Performs, brought to you by Runners Health Hub, helping female runners to be fitter, faster and stronger. We really hope you've enjoyed listening and you'll join us again soon. 
In the meantime, we'd be so grateful if you check us out on iTunes and leave a review. And once again, thanks for listening and do let us know if there are any topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes. Bye for now. We'd like to introduce you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear for women's changing bodies, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. We think they have everything a female runner needs. First of all, they are high compression to support your legs and bum. They have a deep waistband so they stay up and they don't move about when you run. There's a handy left pocket for your phone and a zip pocket on the waistband, which is great for your cards or a key. They also have a hidden tracker pocket for storing a GPS tracking device, and this is a unique safety feature. All Amazing Jane designs, including tanks and tops, are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. Karen and I have been trialing wearing their range for a few months, and we can happily recommend them. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners' special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at amazingjane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. Thanks again to Amazing Jane Activewear for being our show sponsor and for sharing discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases.